0: A man by the name of John Ortberg writes, Our fallenness makes us want to be a part of not just any group, but an exclusive group. By definition, every society includes people who connect, who belong to one another. Yet every society includes people who feel left out, who don't get chosen at recess, whose invitations to dance get turned down who get blackballed and cold-shouldered and voted off the island. We exclude others because of, our, because of pride or fear or ignorance or the desire to feel superior. He says, I thought of this tendency of dividing people the last time I was aboard an airplane. The first-class passengers were served gourmet food on China and Crystal by their own flight attendants. I know, what, what airline is he flying on? Those of us in coach ate snacks served in paper bags with plastic wrappers. That sounds more like it. The first class passengers had room to stretch and sleep. Those of us in coach were sitting with a proximity usually reserved for engaged couples in the back row of a movie. The first class passengers had flight attendants bring them moist towelettes for comfort and personal hygiene. Those of us in coach sat, had to sit and stew in our facial sweat. On almost every flight, once the plane is underway, a curtain gets drawn to separate the two compartments. It is not to be violated. It is like the Berlin Wall or the veil that separated the court of the Gentiles from the Holy of Holies in the temple at Jerusalem. The curtain is a reminder throughout the flight that some people are first class and some aren't. Those who aren't first class are not to violate the boundary. They can't even see what's going on behind the other side of the curtain. On a recent flight, a voice came on the intercom system telling us that because of new security measures, the attendants were not allowed to fasten the curtain. But the airline wanted all of us in the court of the Gentiles to know that we were not allowed to use the facilities in the Holy of Holies, even though there was one restroom for eight people up there and two restrooms for several hundred of us on the other side. John Ortberg concludes, let the curtain stand for a tendency deep inside the fallen human spirit, the tendency to exclude. The tendency to exclude. I share this story with you because we have been going through the book of Exodus, notwithstanding last Sunday, And if you have been following along, it is clear that God has favored the nation, the people of Israel. He has delivered them from Egyptian oppression. He caused bread to rain down from heaven when they were hungry. He caused water to come out of a rock when they were thirsty. And God defeated the Amalekites, a people who attacked the Israelites, without provocation. All of those events happened before the passage we're going to read this morning. All of these acts indicate that God is favoring Israel to the exclusion of the Gentiles. The Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. It seems like God is favoring the Israelites at the expense of the Gentiles, of the nations, of the peoples. The acts of God on Israel's behalf should cause the reader to to raise a question at this point in the Exodus story. Does God care about the rest of the nations of the world? Does he have a plan for them? Does he include them in his plan of salvation? At this part of the story, as you were to read the Bible from Genesis up to this point, you would ask that question because what about those who are not Israelites? Does God care about them? If you're not Jewish, if you're not an Israelite, what about me? What's God's plan for my life? Does he have a plan for my life? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. And we begin to see this truth in the life of a man named Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law. And we see this God beginning to include people other than the Israelites, that he has a genuine concern for them based on Jethro's response to hearing God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people. Jethro is not an Israelite. He's a Midianite. He's a Gentile, someone who is not an Israelite, someone who God is not favoring at this particular time. And he's going to hear something about what God has done on behalf of his people, and this raises the question for today's text. What should the nations do when they hear about God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people? Jethro is a non-Israelite and we're gonna look at Jethro coming to salvation. But not only are we looking at Jethro as an individual, Jethro at this particular time of the story is also representative of the nations, of the people who are not part of God's plan in the Old Testament. So when we think of Jethro, we have to think of him as an individual, but also as a representative of those who are not Israelites. Because at this point in the story, the question has to be raised, well, what about those who are not Israelites? Are you an Israelite? I'm not. So what does this have to say to you and to me? So what should the nations do when they hear about God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people? What should the Gentiles do? Number one, when the nations hear about God's acts of deliverance "...on behalf of his people, they should look to settle in a place where God is revealing himself." Verses 1 to 5. "...and Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt." That's what he does. He hears what God has done. The rest of the chapter is how he responds to what he hears. That's why I have it underlined. That forms the whole question for the entire chapter. So he hears that God, that God has done something on behalf of the Israelites. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Ziphrah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. That is a temporary resident. And the name of the other was Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help. And delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. What is going on here? Go back. Midian. He, Jethro is a Midian. He's a Midianite. What does that mean? A Midianite was a nomad. A nomad was someone who wandered from place to place to place and had no place to call his home. That was the Midianites. Okay, He had no place where he was settled. Wandered from pasture land to pasture land to pasture land. That's what the people were. And they would, take, they would move from pasture to pasture to take care of their livestock. So this was a man who had no place to call home. The author wants to emphasize that fact by saying Moses' sons, one of them was Gershom. I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Moses named his son Gershom because Moses himself was a stranger in a foreign land. He was a person who had no home. And he named the other one Eliezer because Moses knew that God was going to deliver him. So what's the point of making that? What's the point of the author suggesting or bringing in Moses' sons? He's trying to emphasize that Jethro the Midianite, the Gentile, had no place to call home. And he was no different than Moses. And he hears that Moses was delivered and rescued by God. Jethro is saying, if this God will do this for Moses... And I have the same experience as Moses. Will he do the same for me? So what does he do? He goes where Moses is at. And where was Moses? He was encamped. He was settled. Where? At the mountain of God. And what's the mountain of God represent? That's the place where the revelation of God is going to take place. Jethro, when he hears God's acts of deliverance, The one who is wandering and has no place to call home settles at the place where God is going to be revealed. Whenever people today, whether Jew or Gentile, this is not our true home as believers. We're just passing through. And so we, like Jethro, need to be settled at a place where God's word, God's will is being revealed. Settle there. That's what Jethro does. It's the first step, is he goes to a place where God's word is being disp- dispensed. Now, he settles at the mountain of God. We live on the other side of the cross. So where should we be settling? Jesus, right? There, in the New Testament, there's a story where a man by the name of Simeon is in the temple. And he was told by God through the Holy Spirit that he wasn't going to die until he saw the Lord's salvation, Jesus. And one day while he's in the temple, Mary and Joseph come walking in with baby Jesus. Simeon sees the baby Jesus and realizes that's the child that God's going to save the world by. And he takes the child in his arms. And this is what Simeon says. Luke 2.29-32 Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, your work of deliverance, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus is the revelation of God that is going to bring light revelation to the Gentiles for those who are not a part of Israel, who are not Israelites. God's plan is to not exclude people, but to include them. And he was going to use the Israelites in the Old Testament to do that. And in the New Testament, it's in the person of Jesus Christ, which means that we should be sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is illustrated for us in Luke chapter 10, when there were two women who were named Martha and Mary, and Jesus went to their house. And Martha let Jesus in. And what was Martha doing? Busy, 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 doing all this serving. And she goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, tell my sister to help me. You see I'm doing all this work all by myself. And where was Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Listening to his instruction. Receiving revelation. She was settled. And what did Jesus say to to Martha? Martha, you're being distracted by all this work. Mary has chosen that good part. And it will not be taken away from her. Jesus understood how important it was to be settled and sitting at the feet of Jesus' instruction. Many of you may be living busy, busy lives, going from place to place to place. That's how it feels like. What God wants is to do, wants you to do what Jethro did, and that is to find a place, settle where God's word, God's will is being revealed. Sit and listen. Take it in and let the spirit transform your life from the inside out. That's how Jethro started, sitting at a place where God is going to reveal himself. And for Gentiles who don't know God and for those who are Israelites who don't know God, you start by sitting at the feet of those who are going to tell about God's acts of deliverance as Moses was doing for Jethro. That's how it all begins. When the nations hear about God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people, They should look to settle in a place where God is revealing himself. Are you settled? Are you settled? Secondly, when the nations hear about God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people, they should worship the Lord and be admitted into the community of faith. Verses 6 to 12. Now he, Jethro, had said to Moses... I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. He's giving testimony. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, Jethro says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. I know now, I believe For in the very thing in which they, the Egyptians and their gods, behaved proudly, the one God was above them. Then, what does Jethro do after believing? Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God, worship. And secondly, Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. You say, what in the world is going on there with them eating a meal? This was their way of expressing a formal entry of Jethro into the community of faith. The fact that Jethro is eating a meal, and he's eating the meal with who? Aaron and all the elders of Israel who represent the entire nation. This meal was a formal way of admitting uh, and having Jethro join into the community even though he's not an Israelite. And what you're seeing is God, before Jesus came, you're seeing God and his plan of redemption, of wanting to save the whole world as they come to the belief in the one true God. And that's exactly what Jethro has done. So he comes in and has a meal with the leaders of Israel, and it was a formal way of admitting Jethro the Gentile to become a member of the community of faith. Now, we see, this New Test- we see this in the New Testament articulated this way regarding being admitted to the people of God in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church in chapter 2, verses 11 to 19. He says to the church at Ephesus who were made up of non-Israelites, they're Gentiles. He says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, from their community, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what Paul's saying. If you are a non-Israelite in the Old Testament time period and you had no hope because you had nothing, no relationship with God, none. Okay, That's what Paul's saying to the Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, key phrase, you who once were afar off, "...have been brought near by the blood of Christ through his death. For he himself is our peace who has made both one, who's both Jews and Gentiles, and has spoke, has broken down the middle wall of separation. In the temple courtyard there was a wall and signs that would say in the court of the Gentile was the outermost court of the temple. And you could not go beyond that court of the Gentiles. So as a male, if I was living in Old Testament period times, and I was in the court of the Gentiles, the next court you had to go into was the court of the women, for Hebrew women. If I did that, I would probably lose my life. Right? That's a wall of separation. Jesus' death on the cross obliterates that wall of separation and makes the two Israelite and the Gentile one people. And so he breaks down the wall of separation so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity or the hostility between Jew and Gentile. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both Jew and Gentile have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you as Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are in the community of faith. Now regarding worship, Revelation 15:4 says this, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you are alone holy, all nations the Gentiles will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. When God's righteous acts are manifest and are told among, in our world today, the response should be worship and will include the people into one body in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, when the nations hear about God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people, They should seek to give counsel that will ease the burdens of God's people. Verses 13 to 24. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. It's a long day. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit all by yourself all alone, and all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father in law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty or a dispute, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses's father in law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely well yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. And you're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, Then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Here we see that Jethro, now that he's included into the household of God, he gives counsel to Moses and sees that Moses is overworking. He says, this can't be of God, because if this is of God... You won't be wearing yourself out like this. And so he gives them advice. He gives them godly counsel. And the godly counsel led to the lightening of the burden of the people who had a lot on their plate. Moses and the people. As I think about this, and as as, as Jethro represents, is symbolic of the Gentiles here, I think of this giving what's going on in our nation and our world today. And I ask myself this question. Are the nations today giving counsel to the people that are actually giving them peace? Are the nations today giving counsel to God's people that will lighten their burden? Or is it making their burden, making their life more difficult? Are those who are leaders today of the nations giving counsel and advice that are actually making it easier for God's people? Or are they placing on them a burden that is harder to bear? I think it's a legitimate question today what's going on in our culture and in our society. Anybody who comes from God's perspective, from God's point of view, when they give advice or counsel to you, it should always be to lighten the load and to make your life easier to bear, not more difficult. And it raises the question of what's going on today. Are those advice and the counsel by the professionals, are they actually lightening the burden? Or is it making, making it heavier? I simply ask the question. But those who are from God should follow Jethro's advice. And when you see people with heavy burdens, we should be seeking to light the load. That's what Jethro does. And finally, When the nations hear about God's acts of deliverance on behalf of his people, they should share their newfound faith throughout their land. Exodus 18, 25 to 27. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his own way to his own land. And what did he? What did he bring with him when he went back to his own land? His newfound faith. And you better believe. I. It's not stated. But I do believe it implies that he took his own faith with him and he talked about how God had saved the Israelites and what God has done in his own life now that he was a part of the people of God. So, what he's doing is is sharing, he can be sharing his faith among that new land that only he will go there because the Israelites are not. We see a parallel in this in the New Testament in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Then they came to the other side of the sea, Jesus being among them to the country of the Gadarenes. This was Gentile territory. And when he, Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now we're going to jump to verse 18 to 20. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that that he might be with him. He wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus healed him, cast demons out of him. Now he wants to be with Jesus. However, Jesus did not permit him. He says, no. But he said to him, go home to your friends, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and now he has had compassion upon you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, city of ten cities, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. And so we see that Jesus wants those who are Gentiles who come to faith to share that faith with the people who were all around us. That should be the appropriate response of those who are Gentiles, those who are not Israelite, who come into the faith through faith in Jesus Christ and to share what God has done in your life. What What act of deliverance has God done for you? Think about what God has done in your life. How has he worked in your life? What has he delivered you from? What can you share with people? That's what Moses did. He shared what God's, what God had done in his life, and there's two things I, I want to point out that Moses does when he shares his faith. First of all, he went into the tent with Jethro. If you remember, he walked, he goes into the tent. Jethro comes, he goes into the tent. Why does he go to tent? Privacy. The best way to interact with people and have an impact on people when you want to express and share what God has done in your life is to have a private one-on-one conversation with people. It's not going to be in a church service. The most effective way to do that is to find, as the Spirit leads, find a private place like Moses did and then tell everything that God had done, which leads to the second point. Moses sought privacy, but he also was transparent that is, he said the good things, and he also said the bad things. That is, Moses told Jethro in the tent all the things that God had done and how he had delivered them from the Egyptians and all the hardships that they had faced along the way. Moses didn't hide the fact that once he was delivered, there was going to be no hardships along the way. If, any, if Jethro had an inkling that if he became a believer in this one true God, that there was going to be no hardships after after he became a believer. Moses is telling him that's not true. We faced, as a delivered people, hardship along the way. He led us to a place where there was no water. He led us to a place where there was no food. There was conflict with the Amalekites. As believers, we will face conflict. You will be led to places where there is no food. There will be places where he may lead you where there is no water. But Moses said, God delivered us from them every time because God was with you. So the idea that somehow there will be no hardship if you become a believer, this story dispels it because Moses says that's not true because we've experienced it. So I simply leave with this question: What has God done in your life that is a work of deliverance that you can share with another brother, another, another individual, coworker, family or friend? Because it could have an impact on their life. This had an impact on Jethro's life. And you don't know the impact you could have on someone else. Trust the Lord, follow His lead and share and be honest and transparent with the people that are around you, the good and the bad, but know that God is going to be with them and deliver them as he delivered Jethro, as he delivered the Israelites. Amen? God is inclusive if you believe in Jesus. That's the key. In Christ. And Jesus Christ came into this world to become a human being so that we could be all Regardless of our differences, male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, all those divisions that separate us, if we're Christians, we should be focused on that, Focus on what unites us, and have that be the essence and the core of who we are and what we believe. And any differences can be worked out after that. And I think sometimes we focus on our differences and not on the similarities, I remember when Jesus was at the well. And who came to him at the well? It was a woman. He was a rabbi. He was male. She was female. She was a Samaritan. There were so many differences between them. But you know what Jesus did? He focused on the one commonality that they had among all their differences. They had no reason to be speaking to one another. Because women shouldn't be speaking to men at a well at high noon. And Jesus was a rabbi. They shouldn't have been having a conversation. And she even said, why are you speaking to me? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. All the differences is what she was focusing on. Jesus didn't focus on the differences. You know what he focused on? What they have in common. What was their common? I thirst. Jesus, she was coming to draw a well. He saw that she was coming to draw water and says, I am thirsty. I have something in common with you. If we focus on what our commonalities are, If we believe in Jesus, we may not all agree on everything, but if our core of who we are, our our identity is on Jesus Christ, then everything that's different about us or the things that we may disagree on can be worked out. But sometimes I believe that we approach focusing on our differences first and foremost, and our common belief in Jesus is off to the wayside. We, We miss each other along the way. Jesus has come into this world and has taken all of our differences and and tears down those differences and those walls. Yes, there's value in diversity, but we can have unity in diversity. That's what the body of Christ is, unity in diversity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word We see, Lord, in your plan of salvation that you were bringing people to yourself who were not even Israelites. Jethro was not an Israelite. He was not a part of the covenant people, but you brought him to faith. And as a precursor of what you were going to do in Christ through his death and resurrection and bringing all people and all their differences and uniting them in your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that gift for your son, and that you have made it possible for us to be in you and to be unified in you. Uh, Help us, Lord, to rejoice over the fact that we are believers. We're in your body. And Lord, we ask that in spite of our differences with one another, whether they be theologically, politically, in any areas of life where there are differences, Lord, help us to realize and to understand that we are first and foremost your children. Our identity is you. You, ha- you are the one who gives us identity, not the world. And help us, Lord, to live in such a way that can help bring reconciliation into this world, a ministry of reconciliation. Lord, we'll give you the thanks and the praise for all that you do in and through us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand, if you are able, for our closing song, O Lord, My Rock and My Redeemer. redeemer and has made us all one, whether you are male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Jesus tears down those barriers and makes us one because we're believers in him. We're in one body. We praise God for that. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace. Amen.